We turn in Holy Scripture to John chapter 20. This morning you read the account of Jesus' resurrection from Matthew's uh, record. This evening we turn to John's account, both of course inspired by the Holy Spirit. The text is verses 11 through 18. We will not reread that because of its length. John chapter 20, and we begin at verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, John, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. And now the words of the text. But Mary stood without, outside, at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, And seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, if you've carried him from here, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord 
and that he had spoken these things unto her. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. I won't reread verses 11 through 18, but let's look at verse 17. Let's reread verse 17. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the fascinating things about uh, all these accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the fact that these disciples, the followers of Jesus, were not looking for the resurrection. In fact, the disciples of Jesus were not even hoping for the resurrection. The very reason that these women come to the sepulcher early on that Easter Sunday morning was exactly so that they might finish the work of preparing Jesus' body for burial. When the women started walking to the sepulcher, they were expecting to find a dead Jesus. As much as Jesus had plainly taught His disciples that He would rise again from the dead, and you even read it this morning from Matthew's account, He he told them explicitly that on the third day He would rise from the dead. Nevertheless, they still didn't understand it or expect it. The reality is, the disciples were still entertaining the notion of an earthly kingdom. And everything that had transpired over these last three days or so had been very confusing to all of them. The disciples were simply not looking for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now that's very important for us to remember because that helps explain why Jesus appears to His disciples, His followers, the way that He does. When we read of these resurrection appearances of Jesus, we need to understand that Jesus appears to His disciples the way that He does in order to teach them. They need instruction. Jesus appears to His disciples the way that He does, and everything in all these accounts takes place the way that it does so that Jesus might show His disciples, first of all, the fact of His resurrection, and then second also, perhaps especially, the nature and significance of His resurrection. And that becomes very significant when we look at the passage before us this evening. Because when we first read the text for this evening, we might think to ourselves, this is a very strange encounter between Jesus and Mary. Verse 17, as we read it, Jesus tells Mary that she may not touch Him. Why does Jesus appear to be so cold and distant to Mary? Why can't Mary touch Jesus? Can't she be happy to see Jesus again? And this interaction between Jesus and Mary is perhaps especially confusing when you read later on that the next week, when Jesus appears to His disciples for a second time in the upper room, Jesus explicitly tells Thomas to touch Him, to touch His hands, and to touch His side where the spear had pierced His torso. And... And Thomas is allowed to touch Jesus, but Mary is not? Well, there's an explanation for all of this. 
The reason Jesus does it like this is because, as I said, Jesus needs to teach Mary, he needs to teach the disciples truths about his resurrection. And here he needs to teach Mary a particular truth about the resurrection. And he needs to teach all the other disciples right away about this particular truth that he's teaching Mary. In fact, it's very striking that this interaction with Mary is Jesus' first resurrection appearance. And so the instruction he gives Mary here is pivotal. It's foundational for going forward. This is also why Jesus tells Thomas to touch his body a week later. Because Thomas needs other instruction. Thomas needs to receive the instruction that Jesus' resurrection was a real resurrection. It's the same body in which he died. Thomas needs to believe that. Mary needs to be taught something else here on Easter Sunday morning. And what Mary needs to learn is this. That with Jesus' resurrection from the dead... Jesus has not returned to his previous life. In his resurrection from the dead, Jesus has not returned to the same old relationships that, have ex- that had existed before his death. Things have radically, fundamentally changed. His relationship with Mary and everyone else has fundamentally changed. And what has ultimately changed? Well, we can put it up with, we can sum it up with these words. Jesus has made all things new. That ultimately is what Jesus is teaching Mary in this passage and teaching everyone in this passage. Jesus has made all things new. That's our theme for the preaching this evening and for the sermon. We look at that theme under three points. First, the strange encounter between Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Second, we look at the good reason for this strange encounter. And then third, the glorious message that is communicated to us, that Jesus has made all things new. In order to understand the strange encounter between Jesus and Mary, let us first see how this encounter happened. Early in the morning, while it is yet dark, Mary Magdalene and a few other women head out to the place where Jesus had been buried. Mary Magdalene and these other women with her had been there on Good Friday when Jesus was crucified. They had, at least, at least while he was hanging on the cross, they had been standing afar off and they had witnessed the death of their friend and teacher. These women, some of them at least, had heard Jesus say, I thirst. And they had seen Jesus give up the ghost and die. These women had been there when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took the dead body of Jesus from the cross. And with a thousand doubts and questions swirling in their minds, they had followed Joseph and Nicodemus in the funeral procession, and they had followed these men to the place of Jesus' burial. And there they sat by the grave as they observed Joseph and Nicodemus preparing the body of Jesus for burial. Then these women rested on the Sabbath day, the Saturday, and now early in the morning, while it is yet dark, we read of Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, Salome the mother of James and John, Joanna, and other women whose names are not mentioned, heading out to the sepulcher to anoint Jesus' body with spices. And as they walk, they talk about how they have to roll that stone away from the front of the sepulcher. 
Well, as soon as they get close enough to the sepulcher that they can actually see it, they see that the stone has already been rolled away. You read from Matthew's account that there was a great earthquake and an angel had come and rolled away the stone from the door and the angel was sitting on the stone. Well, Mary Magdalene, as soon as she saw that the stone was rolled away, immediately thought the worst. She didn't think that Jesus had actually risen from the dead, but she thought that grave robbers had come and had stolen the body. And of all the women who were going to the sepulcher that morning, this was apparently too much for Mary Magdalene. So she turns back and she tells the other disciples what must have happened. Meanwhile, the other women continued to go to the sepulcher. And at the sepulcher, these other women speak to the angels who tell them the good news of Jesus' resurrection, and then these women return to the disciples. In the meantime, Mary Magdalene had gone and told Peter and John about what she thinks has happened, and they, hearing that news, they quickly run to the sepulcher to see whether what she said was true. They come to the sepulcher, they see the grave clothes, and we read that John immediately believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. And then we read that Peter and John head back to the other disciples. Meanwhile, Mary herself is slowly making her return trip back to the sepulcher for the second time. And and these people must have taken different routes because by the time Mary gets to the place where Jesus was buried, she's all alone and she hasn't yet heard what the other women and what Peter and John have already learned from the angels and from the grave clothes, that Jesus is risen from the dead. And so there is Mary Magdalene at the sepulcher of Jesus all alone, still with the vain hope that maybe she might find the body of her beloved Savior. And all these things work out so that Mary Magdalene will actually be the first to see Jesus risen from the dead. Well, before we go any further, let us ask the question now, who was Mary Magdalene? Who is this woman that we're we're looking at in this passage? Well, we don't actually know very much about Mary Magdalene. First of all, we know that she was from the town of Magdala. That's why she's called Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdala. And second of all, we learn that she had once been possessed of demons. She had seven demons in her, and Jesus had cast out those seven demons and healed her. And you read in Luke 8 verse 3 that ever since Mary had those demons cast out of her, she, with other women, had begun following Jesus, and she had devoted herself to Jesus to serve Jesus with her substance, with her wealth, and with the earthly things she possessed. Out of thankfulness, Mary Magdalene was a woman who followed Jesus throughout his earthly ministry and who had completely dedicated her life to helping provide for Jesus' earthly comforts, giving him food when he needed supper, giving him a cool and refreshing drink when he needed something to drink, that kind of service. And so the impression we get from Mary Magdalene, and this comes out even in the passage we just read, is that Mary Magdalene found her life's purpose in taking care of Jesus' earthly needs. Yes, Mary Magdalene probably also liked to hear her Lord and Savior preach. Maybe Mary Magdalene even wished that she could understand Jesus preaching more or better. But if we wanted to characterize Mary, I I think it's safe 
to say that, that Mary Magdalene maybe didn't concern herself too much with Jesus' preaching, but rather she was a woman who just wanted to show her gratitude to Jesus by serving his earthly needs. And I hope you understand what I'm saying with those words. There are different gifts and abilities and different places that we as brothers and sisters have in the church. There are Christians who are, who are deeply concerned about the finer points of doctrine. And then there are Christians who are like Mary, who don't concern themselves too deeply with deep doctrinal questions, but they are simply those who want to show their love for Jesus by acts of mercy. And that's their gift and their place in the church, to do those acts of service. And that's the impression we get of Mary Magdalene. And now I say all of that because that's also exactly what we see taking place early on here on Easter Sunday morning. And that's how we should look at this whole event in John chapter 20. Mary is going out to the sepulcher to do what she's always done to tend to the needs of Jesus' earthly body. And this morning, you might say, she has the last act that she will be able to perform for Jesus. So you can imagine the kind of grief that Mary is experiencing. This Jesus, her Savior, who has saved her from horrible demon possession, and whom she has so faithfully served from that moment on, this Jesus is now dead. And here this morning will be her last act of service for Jesus before his body starts to decompose and before those earthly ties that connect her to Jesus will be completely severed. And Mary, who has gotten so accustomed to taking care of Jesus' earthly needs, now not only mourns the death of her Savior, but also, in a sense, has no more purpose in life it would seem. She has become so attached to Jesus in His earthly form. She has been so attached to Jesus and who Jesus is in the form of a servant. Jesus who is the man of sorrows and Jesus who has earthly needs. This is the Jesus she knows and this is the Jesus she loves. Jesus in His earthly form. And this now will be her final act of service. She is going to be devoted to her Savior's earthly needs even to the bitter end. She will do everything she can to serve the needs of her Savior and give Him that honorable burial. And now imagine Mary's shock when she sees the stone has been rolled away and she thinks that the body of Jesus has been stolen. If they have stolen the body of Jesus, she can't carry out her last act of love. She can't do her last assignment for Jesus' earthly needs. She's been robbed of this final act of service. And I believe this is partly why Mary is so troubled. And and this is perhaps also why she is the woman who runs back to the disciples. Perhaps more than any of the other women, Mary Magdalene is anxious to find the earthly body of Jesus, the remains of His earthly form, so that she might tend to His needs. She wants to show Him her love. And this is how she knows how to do it. Perhaps this is also why Mary makes that second trip to the sepulcher. Because she needs to find the body of Jesus. She wants to serve her Savior. This, it seems to me, is an accurate representation of who Mary is. And we will see why all of this is significant in just a moment. And now here comes Mary. 
We've just looked at who Mary is. And now here comes Mary to the sepulcher once again, all by herself, overwhelmed with grief and disappointment, wondering what has happened to the dead body of Jesus. And we read that when Mary gets to the sepulcher, she looks in the sepulcher and sees two angels. And they say to her in verse 13, Woman, why weepest thou? And notice, Mary Magdalene isn't even phased by the angels. It's almost like she doesn't even notice them. She, she speaks to them as if it's a common thing to speak to angels. Why? Well, maybe because she's so focused on finding the body of Jesus. She's so grieving. And what does she say in verse 13? Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have hid him. And then notice verse 14. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And now Jesus asks her why she is weeping. And she says to Jesus, Sir, she's she's thinking he's the gardener. She says, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, if you have carried him from here, tell me where thou hast laid him and I will take him away. Now that's a striking thought too, isn't it? I don't know how strong Mary Magdalene was, but recognize what Mary is saying here. Just imagine Mary lugging around the dead body of Jesus, moving it back to the grave. Mary is so willing to do anything for Jesus' earthly well-being that she even apparently offers to manhandle the body of Jesus so that she can bring it back to the grave. What's the point of saying all of this? The point is, Mary is looking for an earthly Jesus And Mary is looking to tend to Jesus' earthly needs. She has placed all of the love of her heart on Jesus and who He is in His earthly form. And that is significant. And that's when we read about this strange encounter. First of all, it's striking that Mary doesn't even recognize who Jesus is. She thinks He's the gardener. We're not sure exactly why Mary doesn't recognize Jesus at first, but perhaps the explanation is simply the fact that Mary is so distraught, so overwhelmed with grief, and so focused on looking for a dead body that when she sees Jesus, it doesn't even register in her mind that it could be Jesus. She's looking for a dead body. This man talking to her is clearly alive, and so she doesn't recognize Jesus. But then Jesus says, Mary. And immediately, Mary recognizes that it is Jesus. She knows the voice of her shepherd. And in a flood of overwhelming joy, Mary responds, Rabboni! That is, Master! And you can figure that must have been what Mary had called Jesus throughout his earthly life. He was her master. And she devotedly served his earthly needs. She's his servant. But then, strangely enough, Jesus says immediately to her, Touch me not. Perhaps Mary had had gone forth to, to embrace Jesus. Literally, Jesus says, Don't cling to me. Or the expression we would use today is, Don't embrace me. Don't touch me. Don't embrace me. Mary thought she had lost her Savior. And now she sees he's alive and she wants to cling to him, never to let him go again. And Jesus says, don't touch me. What? Why can't Mary touch Jesus? 
Doesn't Jesus understand Mary's joy? Mary is ready to serve him again. And then Jesus suddenly starts talking about his ascension. He says in verse 17, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. That's a strange encounter. Why this strange encounter? Why these words from Jesus? In fact, what does Jesus' ascension have to do with any of it? Well, there's good reason for this strange encounter. There's a purpose. Of course there is. There's a purpose with Jesus' words. And that good reason is rooted in the very nature of Jesus' resurrection from the dead and what Jesus' resurrection is and involved Because Jesus' resurrection from the dead was an advancement from the earthly to the heavenly. We should understand, Jesus' resurrection here on Easter Sunday morning was unlike any other resurrection that had taken place before. Think of the resurrection of Lazarus. About a month before Jesus himself dies on the cross, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But Lazarus' resurrection was merely a return back to this life. Although raised from the dead, Lazarus' body remained an earthly body. It remained flesh and blood. It was still an earthly body adapted for life here on this earth. And Lazarus' body was still mortal. Lazarus would have to go through the whole experience of dying again. And because of the nature of Lazarus' resurrection, when Lazarus rose from the dead, Lazarus was able to resume and take up again his earthly life, with all the relationships that he had enjoyed in that earthly life before he had died. But you see, Jesus' resurrection is different. Jesus' resurrection is not a return. Jesus' resurrection is an advancement. Yes, the body that he took to himself when he rose was the same body that had been laid in the grave on Friday afternoon. But through his resurrection, Jesus' body had changed. It was made a heavenly body. It was a body that had been transformed and glorified. It was a body that was now fitted for life in heaven. And it was an immortal body. That which had been sown in corruption was now raised in incorruption. That which had been sown in dishonor was now raised in honor. That which had been weak is now raised in power. That which had been sown a natural body has now been raised a spiritual body. And the reason Jesus' resurrection was different was because of what Jesus did on Good Friday, on the cross. Remember, Good Friday, Jesus was led to the cross because Jesus was born under the curse of the law. Jesus had taken that position on Himself, on behalf of His people. On the cross, Jesus, as the representative of His people, had paid the full punishment for all their sins. He had made the full satisfaction, the full payment for all their sins, all their debts, all their crimes. And because of Jesus' perfect work, Jesus did not deserve to remain in the grave. Yes, He went through that whole humiliation of dying and of even having his body buried. That's all part of his humiliation. But Jesus didn't deserve to remain in the grave. He had earned the right to eternal life with God. 
And in Jesus' resurrection from the dead, that's exactly the new life He took to Himself. Eternal life. Heavenly life. Jesus didn't just come back from the dead, but Jesus had conquered death and He came through death on the other side. Jesus had conquered death in the grave. When He arose from the dead, He didn't return back on the same side of the grave. But when He arose, it's because He went through death in the grave and He arose on the other side, on the side of eternity and immortality. So that He's he's never to be touched by death again. He's completely free of any and all of death's claims over Him. He's passed from the state of humiliation into the state of exaltation. So that instead now of having the form of a lowly servant, Jesus is now given that name which is above every name. That's coming to Him when He is seated at God's right hand. He's no longer weak. He's no longer subject to the infirmities of the flesh. He is the victorious King, clothed with honor and glory. And subsequently, Jesus has no more need for food and drink either. And subsequently, He has no more need for these women to take care of these earthly needs anymore. And the very consequence of of what Jesus' resurrection is, the very consequence was the fact that that old way of life that Jesus had lived with His disciples and with these women before His death was now destroyed. It had come to an end. It is no more. And now what does that mean for Mary? Well, it means that that previous relationship Mary had enjoyed with Jesus was no longer there. It's kind of like Jesus' relationship to His mother. Remember His third word from the cross. It's the same thing with Jesus' mother. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. Jesus is preparing His mother, Mary, for what's going to happen on the other side of the grave. Because their relationship is going to be different. She's not going to be his his mother. That relationship is going to be changed. Because he's going to be her Lord and her Savior in a a deeper and and more profound and, and different way than it was before his death on the cross. And it's the same thing here. It's impossible for that previous relationship that Mary Magdalene had with Jesus before his death to continue the way it was after his resurrection. And that is something that Mary herself needs to learn right in this moment. You can imagine that when Mary realizes that Jesus is alive, Mary thought that things were going to go back to the way they were before. She's ready to serve Jesus again, give him food and drink, and supply whatever he's lacking. That was, after all, the kind of Jesus she was looking for. A Jesus whose earthly needs she could minister unto. Now, if this helps us to make sense of these things, I could put it this way. Mary had been looking for an earthly body in the same kind of way that the other disciples were entertaining thoughts of an earthly kingdom. The women were looking for an earthly body to serve just as the disciples were looking for an earthly kingdom to rule. It's the same kind of struggle. Having earthly thoughts. I think that's why Mary calls him Rabboni. Mary says, Master, the one whom I serve, now I get to serve you again. But the reality is, no. A fundamental change has taken place. Jesus is no longer in need of food or drink 
or the earthly substance that Mary could offer him. Jesus is glorified. And this is something that all of the disciples will have to learn and and process. And it's precisely this reality that Jesus is teaching Mary in verse 17 when he says to her, Touch me not. Jesus withdraws from her embrace right at the very beginning of his resurrection. Exactly so that Mary's not led on. So that she's not led astray in her thoughts. Jesus knows she needs instruction. Mary will never be able to serve and wait on Jesus in the way she had before his death. Mary must learn to know Jesus in a higher relationship, in a higher fellowship than what she's used to. This is perhaps also why Mary didn't recognize Jesus when she first saw him, because Mary's looking for the exact same person she had known before his death, and Jesus has changed. And so this is why Jesus interacts with Mary the way that he does. Touch me not. This is also why Jesus interacts with his other disciples the way that he does. Right? Even on this Sunday evening, he appears to them suddenly in the upper room. He goes through the door. He appears to them, and then he's gone suddenly again. And why does he do that? Well, he's doing it to teach them about the nature and significance of his resurrection. He is obviously different now than he was before his death. His very life is different. He's clothed with honor and power and glory. He's no longer that man of sorrows in that state of humiliation. That's what he's doing. He's teaching. Now, if you look at verse 17, you'll notice that Jesus says even more. He says, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. And what Jesus is doing there is exactly how it reads. He's explaining himself. And what Jesus is saying is this, Mary, I need to ascend to heaven because this life that I have taken to myself on this Easter Resurrection Sunday morning... This is a glorified life that is not fitted for life here on the earth, but it's fitted for life in glory. And that's where I must go. And, Mary, I must also go to heaven. I need to ascend so that from heaven I can pour out my Holy Spirit upon you and upon all my disciples. And by that outpoured Holy Spirit, you will be able to enjoy this higher fellowship This higher relationship that I have secured for you through my death and resurrection. That's how you will be able to touch me again, Mary. That's how you will be able to cling to me and embrace me. Not by clinging to me as one who's in the form of a servant, in the likeness of sinful flesh, but by clinging to me in a higher, spiritual, heavenly, blessed way. You will be able to cling to me. You will be able to touch me, not in the flesh, physically, but spiritually, by my poured out Holy Spirit. So don't embrace me, Mary, as the humbled and lowly Jesus. But Mary, you need to embrace me now as the exalted King of glory. And when I ascend to heaven, I will pour out my Holy Spirit so that you will be able to embrace me in that higher deeper and more glorious way. Touch me not, because I need to ascend to heaven, and then you will be able to embrace me the way that 
that, you, that needs to be done now with my resurrection. That's how you will be able to touch me. Now, congregation, this is important instruction for us also today. When we read this account, and we read of how Jesus interacts with Mary, I think we almost feel bad for Mary, as if Mary has lost something that was very precious to her. Sometimes, at least I think, but I think it's more general, we can think that it would be nice if, if Jesus were here on the earth with us, just like he was with his disciples in their earthly ministry. To have Jesus preach to us like he preached in the synagogue at Nazareth. How wonderful that would be to sit at the feet of Jesus. Well, we understand that. But congregation, that's not how it is. Because through Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, Jesus is actually bringing our fellowship with him to a higher level. We're brought out of that day of types and shadows. We're brought into the age of spiritual maturity. We are brought into the new covenant. Right? That, that's, that's what's emphasized. This is the New Testament in my blood. The better covenant. Jesus is bringing his people into that better covenant, that new Covenant, that, that higher relationship of friendship and fellowship. Through Jesus' ascension, we have so much more. And that's what Mary is going to experience as well. Right now, she probably doesn't understand it all. She, she probably questions, how can things get better than what I already enjoy with you now? But soon on Pentecost, she will be brought to understand. She has to wait a little bit in order to understand. And then, when the Spirit is poured out, she will realize for herself, yes, this is what Jesus was talking about. This is better. To have the pouring out of the Spirit and to be raised to this higher level of fellowship with Jesus through His Spirit, this is better. Congregation, it's very similar to what we're going to experience when we look ahead to the prospect of our own death. Right? How can things be better, in one sense, with Jesus now? I love my life with Jesus here on this earth. But Jesus says, Things are going to be even better when, when I bring you to glory. And then the new heavens, the new earth, that relationship is going to be brought more intimate. It's going to be brought to a higher level. And that's, what he's, that's where Mary is right now, coming from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And Jesus' new relationship with her before his crucifixion and after his resurrection. And, and all of this comes out. Jesus communicates this reality in verse 17, with what he goes on to say in verse 17. Notice the last part of verse 17. Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. And now this. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. These words that Jesus speaks to Mary are very significant. First of all, Jesus says, my brethren, go to my brethren. And Mary would have picked up on that very clearly. Not go to my servants or even go to my disciples. No, go to my brothers. These are my brothers. These are my friends. Remember John 15? The discussion Jesus had with his disciples in the upper room? Henceforth I call you not servants, but I call you friends. Because I share with you all my thoughts. Well, that was the night before he was crucified. Up to that point, they, they didn't really experience that close-knit relationship of, of being those friends, right? They were called servants. 
But now they're called friends. And now here in his resurrection, Jesus says, I call them brothers. That's how close this relationship now is. For you, Mary, too, you're my sister. Not just my servant. Yeah, you call me Rabboni. And, and yes, I am your Lord. But you're also my sister. And, and then notice, go to, I go to my father and your father. And my God and your God. Mary, God is your father, and I am your brother. We are part of the same family. You are a co-heir with me, a joint heir of everlasting life and glory and fellowship. We're going to live in the house of God together as family. And that glory that Jesus now enjoys in his resurrection is the glory that she's going to experience too because she's part of the family. Because of Jesus' work. I go to my Father and your Father. And my God and your God. Mary, you can imagine, is, is absorbing every word. And that's the good reason Jesus tells Mary not to touch Him. Things are different now. There are richer things in store for you, Mary, than what you are thinking. So don't touch me in that way. There are richer, deeper things. And so what then is the glorious message that Jesus is giving to Mary? What's the glorious message that we learn here about from Jesus' resurrection? The glorious message is this. And this is why I've made it the theme. Because I want you to take this home with you. The message is this. Jesus has risen and has made all things new. In a beginning, in principle, right here on Resurrection Sunday, this is really the central message of Jesus' resurrection. And this is the word Jesus communicates to Mary Magdalene in His very first appearance after His resurrection. Jesus has made all things new. Through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, God testifies to us To you and me who are in Jesus Christ, who are believers, God testifies to us that all our sins have been forgiven. It is now before God's throne of justice as if we had never sinned. That's what His resurrection communicates. Through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, God testifies to us that Jesus has earned for us eternal life and obtained victory over death in the grave. And He imparts that life to us at the time of regeneration. Through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, God testifies to us, He tells us, that Jesus, our elder brother, is the King of glory, King of kings and Lord of lords. He he holds the keys even of death and Hades. And through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, God testifies to us that we have the proof, a certain pledge, that our bodies themselves will one day be raised from the dead and glorified, made like unto Jesus' glorified body, and brought to the new heavens and new earth. And through all of this, through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, God is testifying to us that a new day has dawned. A new day has dawned. Certainly a new day for Jesus, right? Easter Sunday is the first day of the rest of Jesus' life of immortality. 
right? For, for who he is in his human nature, a man just like you and me. And this is the first day of the rest of his life of immortality. But it's also a new day for us, a day of hope, a day of victory. Jesus' resurrection was, in a very real sense, the first day of the rest of our lives, too. Because the life that he took to himself is the life that he also imparts to us by his Holy Spirit. That is the life of regeneration. That is the new man in us that will never die. That's Christ in us and his resurrection life in us. And even physical death itself, even physical death itself is but the passageway for us to more glory and a greater experience of that eternal life that we already have a beginning of now. As the Apostle Paul said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are become new in principle because of the new eternal life Jesus took to himself in his resurrection from the dead. All things are become new with Easter Sunday. Yes, even today we we still have the weaknesses of the flesh. We have that old man of sin we must battle against. But already now we have the foretaste of that glorious heavenly life. We have peace with God. We know that the labors are finished. There's no more sacrifice needed. Already now we experience the beginning of eternal joy through the finished labors of Jesus Christ. And God who has begun this work in us will surely finish it. Through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the life and fellowship that God's people enjoyed with God is brought to a higher level. It's it's secured and it's brought to a higher level. And yet there's a day coming when this new day will come to its full realization. Right? There is a day coming when Jesus' work of making all things new will come to its perfection. Really what he began in his resurrection still has to work through all of creation. There's coming a day when Jesus will come again and he will will make the new heavens and the new earth. And then all our tears will be wiped away. Then there will be no more pain or sorrow at all. But then we will enjoy perfect fellowship with Jesus. Fellowship with Jesus at that highest level where we will be able to touch Him because we will be with Him. We will see Him face to face and we will fellowship with Him forever in that highest state of glory. And on Resurrection Sunday, God is giving us the promise that that future is ours. Jesus' resurrection from the dead guarantees it. Jesus is the one who makes all things new and in principle with his resurrection he already has made all things new. That's the message Jesus gives to Mary on Sunday morning. And that's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. And that's what we celebrate every Sunday again as we gather for worship and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and his victory 
every Sunday again. And that's beginning to live out the eternal Sabbath. Jesus has made all things new. Carry that home with you. Let that shape your thoughts, your hope, your comfort, your zeal, your thankfulness. Let that shape also your hope that there is coming that day when when we will see it in its perfection. Now we see it by faith. Then there's coming a day when we will see it and we will see Him face to face. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for the Gospel, for Jesus' victory shown in His resurrection from the dead. We thank Thee for making us partakers of that victory and making us partakers of that new life Jesus took to Himself. And we thank Thee, Father, for this intimate relationship we have with Jesus and with Thee through Jesus. And we thank Thee that Jesus took care of Mary right away so that she was not let on, but she understood it and And she was thought to think better thoughts. Help us where we need that encouragement too, to think those better thoughts. We thank Thee for how Jesus is compassionate in every way, caring for us as His people, as Thy people. Use this preaching to shape our hearts and to shape our lives, that going forward in this week we might exalt the name of Jesus and give Thee praise and glory. For thou truly art the one unto whom all glory and thanks is due. In Jesus' name, hear us.